All right, the, uh, the title of this uh, tonight, one of the reasons I'm really very excited to have uh, my PowerPoint system set up so you can't cheat and look at notes ahead of time so I can like have all my juicy stuff and you can't take peeks at it. Uh, as an author, I never like people to like open up and read the last chapter because you're like building somewhere. You don't want someone to cheat. And so when I have to give out notes ahead of time, I just know there's some of you that like page through it. <laughs> okay, within the ranges. What in the world is that? Well, I'm going to explain it. And I don't know that I'm going to do it from the beginning, so I'm going to let the mystery hang. Because maybe even if you page through, if you page through, you might have figured it out. Uh, I see some of you already nodding along, like, oh yeah, I know what it is. Uh, but I'll let it hang as sort of a mystery in the air for a little bit, but it's, uh, it's a very appropriate title for this. The first subsection that I wanted to sort of go into and lay a, a foundation for what I wanted to talk about tonight is the Davidic growl for God's glory, meaning the growl that David had. David, the shepherd boy that became a king, had something more inside of his chest than most of us have. He had what I would term a growl. He cared deeply about the glory of God. Deeply. He cared deeply about all that was entrusted to his care. And if that was tainted, if that was touched in any way, then he would go after it. He went after it with an intention to fight. Now, what's happened in the change of covenants is we have gone from external fighting to an internal battle, first and foremost, where we're not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, which for a lot of us guys is a big bummer, you know, because there's some of us guys that really want an external battle. We'd love to break a jaw. You know, it just sounds like a lot of fun. But a lot of it is a motivation of the flesh. In other words, there's a dimension of our existence, especially as men, that wants to exert for the purpose or the cause of righteousness. But we have a tendency to handle it or mishandle it the wrong way. In other words, we don't deal with that impetus within a, in ourselves the right way. And so we end up breaking jaws instead of breaking spiritual powers jaws. We're, we're breaking physical jaws. And God wants us to fight this battle right. You know, David fought physical enemies, and God calls us very specifically to fight spiritual enemies because they're the puppeteers over all our physical enemies. And we can actually see our physical enemies turn and repent and actually join the ranks of Jesus Christ because we can deal with the powers that are controlling them. But the same growl that was in David, the same movement of soul, the same, uh, just that, fury, if you will, for righteousness. We must have it in our day and age. Now, I wanted, before I get into that much more, I wanted to introduce you to a really great word. It's used once in the New Testament. Oh, I wish this word was used a thousand times. This is a great word. Let's see if I can pronounce it. Andres. I had a little uh, roll of the tongue there. I don't know if that's actually correct. Andrizomai. Does that sound right? According to that little spelling thing there. Uh, Andrizomai. Okay, listen to what it means. To show oneself a real man. To be brave. To do what a man ought to do. This is the perfect word for the brave-hearted gospel. Right there. And I just now find it. Andrizomai. To show oneself a real man. To be brave. To do what a man ought to do. Technically, if it was going to be translated into our modern vernacular, it would be this. Be a man. That's what it would be. What's interesting is in Scripture, it actually uses this term. Now, let, let's read the Scripture in 1 Corinthians. This is Paul. And he says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Quit you like men. I almost named the message, quit you like men, but then you all would have been extremely confused. Quit you like men. It sounds like you're supposed to not be a man. You're supposed to quit being a man. That's not what it means. It means that that quit you like men is a phrase that comes straight out of the word andrizomai. Andrizomai. I need something that will remind me of the pronunciation of that. So it literally says, watch ye, watch, Eric. Stand fast in your faith, Eric. Be a man, be strong. Be a man. This is Paul talking to the body of Christ. Be a man. It's a little strange for all the girls. It's sort of like Paul also says, you're the bride. We're like, what? It can be a little confusing at times. But be a man. What's interesting is there's an understanding wrapped in that of what a man is supposed to be. It's been redefined in our culture. 
But there is an understanding just scripturally of what a man is. That was what the entire book of Bravehearted Gospel is. That there is manly stuff and it is missing in the church today. But the bride of Christ must be a man. Uh, really pushing that one. <laughs> in other words, it must put up a fight for truth. It must put up a fight for the things that are valuable to the heart of God. If that big meanie is knocking on the door of my home, I want to come in and hurt someone. And Eric Ludy runs and hides in the basement and allows my family to remain vulnerable. I was not a man. And so what's God's commission to Eric Ludy? Be a man. When there is a time to stand up and defend that which is righteous, that which is holy, that which is pure, you must quit yourself like a man. Now, what that has to do with within the ranges, we're going to put this all together. This is just a puzzle piece that I'm sticking out on the table here. Because it's under the thing, it says the Davidic growl for God's glory. In other words, something is tampering in our generation with God's glory. And the church of Jesus Christ is not quitting itself like a man. It is coming up with a thousand justifications of why it shouldn't fight this battle. Why it is a show of uh, kindness and mercy to not fight the battle. Why it is better to be tolerant instead of to be truthful. So let's, let's read about David here. Because David had something entrusted to him. Now he was anointed as king of Israel, but he wasn't recognized as king of Israel, so all he had was his sheep. And many of you have heard me talk about this. I'm just going to lay it out as another puzzle piece. And David said unto Saul, remember Goliath is standing there, barking, blaspheming the armies of the living God. This is, this is a time for the growl, and you'll see it in David. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go, and the Lord be with thee. This attitude of reckless abandon for the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ would be translated as not being wise in our modern generation. Let's just, you know, accept that as a, as a fact. If you need me to go any further than that, to say you shouldn't run after any animal with food in its mouth, let alone a lion and a bear, grab it by the mane or the beard, break its jaw. I mean, this is not something you typically would do. And most, you know, I want to train Hudson to be a man, to quit himself like a man. But I need to get more familiar with this andro andrizomai, how to pronounce it so I can say andrizomai. <laughs> uh, but it doesn't mean I'm going to say, Hudson, the next time you see like a you know, mountain lion when we're up hiking, Go run after it. You don't do stuff like that. That isn't wise. It is wisdom when it is a violation of the trust that God has given you. If it is within, I'm going to give something away here. If it is within the ranges of what God has given you in your life, then you must stand up and you must go after it and you must grab up by the beard and you must break its jaw and you must take back what belongs to God if it is within the ranges. Now, I'm going to explain that as we go forward. In other words, you don't just go out and find a lion and try and break its jaw. You'll probably be dinner for that lion that night. You don't mess with things that aren't within your range. But when God has given me a son, he's given me a daughter, and when something of evil comes against it, it is my job to quit myself like a man and respond to the issue at hand. I can't just sit there and do nothing. That's just one issue, but we are also talking about plenty of issues when it comes to God's glory and his truth. And there are plenty of things that we must, as the church, quit ourselves like men and respond to the issue of our day. Because the truth is literally falling into disrepair. It is falling in the streets of our culture. And we must quit ourselves like men. We must andrizomai. Quit yourself like men has more of a feel to it. Andrizomai just sounds like some weird thing. But that's what it means and it's a good word. The ever watchful soul. I'm just going to get some more raw materials out here. 
Therefore, let us not sleep. Now, some of you have heard me talk about this because it's one of those extreme scriptures that sounds absolutely hilarious. Therefore, let us not sleep, as do others. How would you like to abide by that one? Uh, but let us watch and be sober. Now, what, what it's talking about, even in the context, is talking about spiritual sleep. Last week, I talked about being unplugged. That there is never a moment in your life when you should unplug from God. The only way to keep a light on is to keep that light plugged in. And your life is supposed to shine all the time. And when you dim your light, you become vulnerable to the enemy's attacks. As Jesus says in the garden, stay awake, watch, lest ye enter into temptation. Watch, there is an enemy and he's prowling about seeking whom he may devour. Stay plugged in to your source of strength. Never unplug. It's the whole concept of therefore let us not sleep. Let us not disconnect. Let us not, and is the term sober, uh, you'll notice that uh, that's in two of the scriptures that we have here. Term sober meaning a clarity of soul or of mind. There's no inebriation, no breakdown, no, no fuzziness of thinking. You remain constant and watchful because you have an enemy and he is prowling about seeking whom he may devour and he wants you. You must be sharp of soul. It's a command. It's a necessity. Be sober. Be vigilant, which means watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So the command is, do not sleep. Be sober. Be watchful. You have a job to do. A watchman was the one entrusted with the job of protecting. So he was set up on a high tower. And of course, all these cities were walled. That was one of the common things in the day. They, their techniques for battle were completely different. They didn't have nuclear bombs back then. And so they protected themselves by walls, by fortresses, fortifications. And so a watcher would be up in a high tower. And if he saw an enemy approaching, what does he do about it? Well, he goes and warns the people in, in that fortress. Of course, that's just how a watchman functions. Now, it doesn't work very well if the guy falls asleep on the job, and he doesn't see the enemy coming, then the enemy is at the gate crawling into the fortress, and the people are shocked, surprised, because the watchman fell asleep. Well, that's your life. Your life is supposed to be a fortress, and you are supposed to be constantly alert, sober, and vigilant so that you can see the enemy coming. You can say, hey, where's the watchman? He just, you know, he was just there all of a sudden. You're the watchman of your life. Now, if my family, I'm the watchman. In the family de department, in the church, guess what? I'm the watchman. Now, greater responsibility and maturity you have spiritually, you, you find that you become a watchman for more than just your own life. But if you don't get it right with your own life, you're going to stink when it comes to your family. If you can't watch for your own soul, then guess what? You're going to be really bad at it for your family and for your marriage. And you're not going to be fit for the church of God. Prove yourself in your own soul, then you'll be ready for a family and for a marriage. And you'll be ready for the church of God, because we need protection. A watchman is not supposed to fall asleep on the job. He is supposed to be sober-minded. What's the good of a guy getting drunk up there and then he's hallucinating things? It's like, oh, I, see, I think I see something over there. He needs to be sharp. He needs to know what he's looking at. It also isn't very good if the watchman who's up on the wall sees something and then all the inhabitants in the wall city don't believe him. This is more like modern Christianity. Or they don't want to hear them. Shut up! We're having fun down here. We don't want to hear what you see. Preach the word, lift it up, and say, there's an enemy at your gate. Hey, we were having fun until you started talking. Watchmen aren't necessarily appreciated today. So the moment you take advantage of some of these things that I'm talking about is the moment you're not going to be very uh, popular in modern Christianity. We don't want to hear what's wrong. We don't want to hear what's wrong with our own life and the enemy that's attacking our own life. This is why we don't particularly care for messages like Eric's giving right now. Because if we just don't show up to this church, we wouldn't have heard this thing, and then we wouldn't be pricked in our conscience, we wouldn't have to do something about it. We would have been fine. We would have been ignorant out there with our head in the sand. But the moment you're pricked and the moment you awaken, you realize there's an enemy that's after your soul. God has more for your life. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to come alive. He wants you to live in joy and peace and fullness. But you can't if you're living on the enemy's terms. 
Okay, one more that scripture down there from Revelation 3.2. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. That's a great statement uh, to us today in our church. Be watchful. We've stopped watching. And strengthen the things which remain. What do you have right now? What still remains? Strengthen it. The enemy has come in and he's basically obliterated the city of God today. And he's marching on it and he's claiming the victory. He is getting the glory out of the church. Satan is. God isn't getting the glory out of the modern church. We look weak. We're feeble. We don't match up with the word of God. And then we come out and we're like, yeah, we're, we're Christians. And everyone laughs at us. It's a, it's a mockery. I just heard a statistic from someone I'm not necessarily that, uh, <clears throat> I don't have a high regard for. So I don't know if the statistic is accurate. But I wouldn't doubt that it's accurate. And that is that 90% of non-Christian people, so non-church people, non-Christians, when they hear the term Christian, think of anti or gay haters. That's, that's their entire mentality is gay hating. 90%, supposedly, think something extremely negative, not just negative, extremely negative, that we hate gays. And I, mean, I just think that's a fascinating thing to come to when an entire culture looks at, we were a Christian culture, and that's the epitome of what we are, is what we hate. What about who we love? Shouldn't it be Christ lovers? That these men and women would die for Jesus Christ. You cannot move them. They are so enthralled with Jesus. What has happened to us that we're known and our moniker is something so derisive? I mean, I, I know it's going to be derisive because that's the secular world and we're Christians. But gay haters, give us something to stand up for. Because that's not who we are. I'm not for gayness. I'm not for homosexuality. But I, I don't hate gays. This is completely backwards. What has happened to us that that's our description? All right, the, well, you're going to notice I'm going to start building on this concept of watches. The Roman watches of the night. In the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, they had three watches of the night. We don't really have watches anymore, so it's a strange concept for us. I mean, I don't know how many, it, wouldn't it seem strange? Like, I'll take the first watch, and all the family goes to sleep. And there I am, I'm watching for a thief to break in. I'm like, what was that? I come up to the window, and I look outside, and I walk around. Someone's trying to get in the front door. We live in America. You know, I'm in the suburbs, Windsor, Fort Collins, Greeley, Loveland. You don't have to worry about thieves very often. It's not that you, your house hasn't broken in, been broken into. But it's like the one in 30-year type of statistic. We just don't have those things happen, so we don't need to have watches. We sleep deeply and well. But back in these days, obviously, when you had issues of enemy armies coming against your people and you had fields and crops you needed to protect all these things you had sheep but you know they could just come in and steal a sheep so you can't just go to sleep because your sheep are your livelihood and so it's sort of harder to you know steal someone's you know money out of their bank account you know it's just a little more challenging today people still try and do it but the point is it's a different type of battle so we don't need watches in the night could you imagine we take the second watch in the night to monitor all, you know, computer hacking, you know, on our computer and our bank account. It's like, okay, it still says, you know, $10 in there. Still, it still says $10. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Oh, okay, it still says $10. Okay, we don't watch like we used to, okay? And so the, the Jews used to have three watches in the night, and I think they would just basically be, uh, instead of three-hour uh, segments like you see with the Roman watches, they were uh, Four-hour segments. So the Jews had it a lot harder. That's why when the, the Romans came in, and I think it was like 63 uh, BC, uh, they quickly adapted to the four watches. Like this, this works a lot better. We only, you know, only need to have three-hour segments. Uh, so, but basically, I remember what, what, how, how I, I learned about this about uh, 17, 18 years ago, and so I decided that I was going to start uh, honoring the watches of the night spiritually. So there I was, and I, I was getting up at uh, midnight for the third watch. So I, I, my alarm goes, dee -dee -dee -dee. And, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. and I get out of bed and get down on my knees, which is the worst place to go, by the way, at midnight when you've been dead asleep. Go down to my knees and, and I go, Jesus, I love you. The next thing you know, I find at about 1 o'clock, my face is like planted on the, you know, I drool just all over my arm. 
Uh, and so I get back into bed. And then what, what's, what's the next one? Three. I get, get up at three. Dee, 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 and then same thing over and over. I did this for weeks. This was my special tribute to God to say, I'm going to be watchful. That's not necessarily the purpose of the watches. And the reason I'm bringing this up isn't to just train you to just get up in the, in the watches of the night. Even though I do think that a church that is maintaining the watches spiritually, there's something there. There's a truth there that we must maintain, but not just what I was just describing. Okay, I think there's more to it. But the concept of the watch is basically that they would literally, the soldiers would switch out, the watchmen would switch out, and they would maintain their window of time. And when they were maintaining their window... They must be sober, and they must be alert. They must be watchful. It doesn't, don't just focus on your shoes and polish your shoes. You have to be watchful. You have to look outward and see what's around you. Most of us are so caught up in our own life that we don't see anything beyond our own selves. But a watchman truly must turn outward. Okay. <clears throat> a lamentation. Believe it or not, I'm still getting raw materials out of the place. This is a little more raw materials than I usually give. Uh, and this is uh, what I call the lamentation of the garden. I cut it very tight here, and this is a little close crop on Mark 14, when it's dealing with Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John. Now, he's told them to stay up, to watch with them, you know, and lo and behold, he keeps coming back, they keep falling asleep. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And he cometh the third time, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says, Stay awake. Watch. Lest ye enter into temptation. There is a guard that God wants up in our lives as individuals, in our families, in the church. But we must remain watchful to see it. We have a watch. I was talking to Mike on uh, whatever day that was. Friday night, was it? Uh, we had four kids over at the house, and Mike stopped by and then got wrangled in uh, to help me. And we were talking about the principle of not on my watch. That David, here a lamb is taken from his, his sheep fold, and it's, it, it's not that big of a deal. It's just one, and it's a lion. You don't mess with lions. But this was on his watch. And David, I could just see the term floating through his head, not on my watch. Sure, there will be sheep that are destroyed somewhere around the earth today, but not on my watch. Not in the range of my jurisdiction. This is what was entrusted to me. I'm responsible for this. I can't be responsible for a, a, a sheep over in you know, Iran. But I am responsible for this sheep on the hills of Bethlehem that are entrusted to me. Not on my watch. And he went after that lion. And he went after that bear. And he went after that giant. You know that the same principle applied? When, he, when David walked into the valley of Elah, and there was the nation of Israel trembling before this giant. And when he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would blaspheme the armies of the living God? You know that he was king and he knew it? These were his people. These were his sheep. This was within his range. This was his jurisdiction. And he said, I'll take him on. Not on my watch. It's a guy that wasn't even invited to the battle. He shows up and he knew his position. And he quit himself like a man. I love that story, by the way. So here we have Jesus literally saying, stay awake, watch, lest ye enter into temptation. And guess what? They can't do it. They fall asleep. And he says, you might as well sleep on now because the Son of Man has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. The Son of Man has been betrayed into the hands of sinners. That's what's happened today. And I, might, I know that might sound like a too strong of a statement for what's happened in the church today. But that is exactly what has happened today. And I am as uncomfortable as that is to say the church of Jesus Christ has morphed. I have only been alive 39 years. And I have seen such a dramatic shift in what Christianity is actually known as, what it's understood as, what people expect out of a Christian today. It has absolutely just fallen apart before my eyes, and I've only been around 39 years. It is completely altered. The things that are being advertised, the things that are being said on Christian radio, the things that are coming through Christian music, quote-unquote, the things that are being sold in Christian bookstores, these things 
are not always Christian. In fact, there's many of them that are counter to actual Christianity. Yet it is masquerading as Christian. And there should be something within us that says, not on my watch. This is our watch. This is our generation. We're looking for someone else to stroll into the camp and to deal with it. We're saying, God, you should deal with this. And he says, this is your watch. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Quit yourself like a man. He's saying to the church, you are my hands and my feet. You're the ones that stand up and fight for my truth. If you don't, it goes down the gutter. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners afresh. And this is what is happening in our generation. Okay, now I, I've been wondering if I should name names here, but I'm not going to. Some of you will just know who it is, maybe. But Christianity Today had a, an article, I don't know when it was. it was, it was fairly recently, on a Christian musician. Christian musician, I met this Christian musician, it's a, it's a female musician. She was extremely popular about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe even more. And so I was in the, one of those green room type, you know, the backstage types of things at a big festival called Creation Fest out east. And we were talking with another Christian leader, uh, his, Josh Harris. And she came in and she was introduced to both of us. And she said, when she found out who Josh was, she said, oh, you're the one who kissed dating goodbye. It was so, so belittling. You know, I'm sure Josh has gotten that more than a few times. Uh, and uh, he actually, if I'm going to defend Josh, which not many people do, uh, he said, uh, uh, yeah, that, that's me. Uh, and then, he, then he said this. He said, by the way, on your last album, I loved the second song. It was fantastic. That was his response. But what I witnessed in this artist was so other than Christ. And then we were on a flight, we were on a small prop plane, coming and going, and I was always with her and her band. So Leslie and I stuck in this plane with this, this girl. So I, I was up close, personal, seeing this. In fact, I ended up walking away with her little uh, crossword puzzle book. Somehow it got stuck in my stuff. Uh, but I witnessed this, and I was so disturbed by it, I didn't quite know what to do with it. But again, she's just a Christian singer, it's, you know, she's, I don't, I've never even heard her music, to be honest, so I, I have no idea if she was good, but supposedly a lot of people really liked her. Well, she has reemerged in Christianity, and this is what bothers me, okay, because here's what needs to be somehow parsed out. I care about the individual Christian. I care about the individual non-Christian. I will give my life up to see them find Jesus Christ. In other words, this isn't a personal issue. This is an issue of truth. This is an issue of governance of the church of God and of the truth of the kingdom of heaven. But she has come back into the Christian world and she's immediately put back up on a pedestal. She doesn't attend a church. She doesn't know anything about the word of God. This girl is so paltry in her understanding of Christianity and now she's come out of the closet as a homosexual. And she's featured in Christianity Today as an authoritative voice. Why? Because she can play the guitar and sing. And I'm going to tell you what, on our watch, we should not allow the church of Jesus Christ to be defined by people who can just sing and play the guitar. They must prove it with their life. You gain credibility in the ranks and file of Christianity because you live it, because you know Jesus not because you can sing and you call yourself a Christian. So she mocks the church in this interview. She mocks the church. She says the church is completely out of touch because there's so many people struggling with homosexuality and all they do is beat us up. Say, but I know a higher truth. She's redefining Christianity as a leader and our publications give her a voice to do it. This doesn't mean we don't care about her. This doesn't mean we don't pray for her. But the point is, if there is a pastor in leadership in Christianity that is mocking Christianity, that is mocking the word of God, we say, step aside, please. Start another religion, but don't call it Christianity. Christianity must be protected. 
I'm not just going to allow anyone into my home to teach my kids and say, this is another truth that you could have. Why? Because it's on my watch. It's my governance. It's my jurisdiction. I'm responsible for the training up of my children in truth and righteousness. So therefore, it's my onus. It's my responsibility to protect what my children learn. And the same thing is true with the Church of Jesus Christ. This is our watch. We have been entrusted with the church of our age. And there is no one else, and I'm, very, I'm going to be clear on this, there is no one else that's going to protect it if you don't. We have this thought that there is some band of gray-headed warriors out there. And everything that comes through Christian circles and in, into Christian music and in Christian bookstores is being filtered by them. And they're just looking it over going, mm-hmm, no, okay, no, that's good. They put their stamp on it. There is no such stamp actually be fairly dangerous if we did start to develop such a stamp. But the point is the stamp is supposed to be within us. We're supposed to be Bereans. We're supposed to test everything against the Word of God. Instead of throwing out the Word of God and saying, this doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I feel that this should be allowed in the church today. It doesn't matter what you feel. It matters what God says. The church of Jesus Christ only has a foundation if it uses Jesus Christ as that foundation. If it's not Jesus Christ, it's not Christianity. It leaves. We push it out and we say, no, thank you. We don't think that way here. We think in accordance with our God, not in accordance with your every whim and your every emotion and your creative thinking. We think in accordance with the word of God. Well, this, uh, this girl, I don't know if I need to read any quotes to you, but uh, she has a very close friend in fact, it's her best friend for the last 10 years who's on tour with her, who's a very famous musician. And he has been writing songs as of late uh, with uh, so things that have never been in Christianity before, in Christian music. I mean, music, yes, but in Christian music. In Christian music, Christian music has, you know, it's just sort of been uh, eroding away for quite a few years. So it's not that I have some high regard for Christian music. I don't like stand up on the street corner and say, oh, if you want to know Jesus Christ, listen to Christian music. I would never say that. However, there's still basic standards. When, when Amy Grant had a divorce, when she cheated on her husband, that was, a, that was a big scandal in Christianity. And so Christian bookstores would no longer carry Amy Grant music. Now, most of us today, just think about that. We'd be like chuckling to ourselves. It's like, are you serious? Christians were actually like that? They were. Michael English, Sandy Patty had affairs. Their, their CDs were removed from the Christian bookstores. Here's what happened, though. You know that Christian, any Christian bookstore would carry all three of them now? That's the point. We continue in a downward slope where we have no standard. It sells. We need to sell it. You know that when Blue Light Jazz came out, no Christian bookstore would sell it? All conservative Christian bookstores would not even touch it. It was profane. But then in Barnes & Noble, Borders, Kmart, Target, all the big box stores started selling it off the charts. It was really selling well. So if a Christian bookstore, it's hard to make it as a Christian bookstore. So for Christian bookstores to make it, they started selling it. That's how, in fact, I had the publisher of that book sitting across me at Egg and I down the street here, and he told me the strategy. He said, Christian bookstores today don't want what we're publishing at Thomas Nelson right now. It's emergent stuff. Because it's too risque. It's, it's pushing the limits. And so the way that we're getting into Christian bookstores is we're first of all getting it sold in Barnes and Noble and Borders. Then we show them. We come to the Christian bookstores and we say, hey, look, if you want to survive, you need to sell our book. And they always cave. Who's in charge here? Do you want that guy sitting across from me at Egg and I calling the shots for what Christianity is going to be for the next generation? Because he is. He's the one defining what you are reading. This guy. I didn't know what to do when I was hearing this. I was, I was grabbing a hold of the table going, what do I do, God? How am I supposed to respond to this? Is this when I... <laughs> My battle is not against flesh and blood. Oh. What do we do? How do we handle this? How do we love that guy and fight what he represents? How do we do that? How do you come up with that holy mixture of Jesus Christ who could somehow destroy the billions of hellish demons and at the same time show love from the cross? He did it all in one. 
It's the greatest weapon ever sent from heaven was that cross, literally plunged into the belly of Satan. He destroyed the minions of hell with it. All power and all authority, all devilish control, destroyed sin and death, destroyed. It was a weapon. And yet the whole while it was an expression of love. How do we do this? You need Jesus to do it. That's all I can say. The weight of a message like this is exactly that for me because I do not want to react just as some man who wants to just clobber someone. That, that emotion flows through me at times. But I want to be Jesus. I want to love. I want to serve. But I want to protect. And I want to quit myself like a man. So this, this guy that uh, is the musician, so what are his new boundaries that he's uh, stretching? Well, he's using curse words in his music now. And, you know, that's been done from the pulpit quite a bit lately. You know, you have the preaching, uh, the cursing pastor out in, uh, out in Washington. And, you know, that's been, it's just an emergent thing. We're stretching the boundaries, and it's hip, it's cool. And God doesn't care about your words. He cares about the fact that you believe. And he covers everything with his blood. We've lost any standard, any standard. It's all thrown out, and it's become this mushy thing. If, even as you're listening to me, you're thinking, well, what's wrong with cursing again? You know, why would that matter? Why would it matter if you, if you love someone who's your soulmate and you cheated on your, your spouse? It's not really cheating because that was the person you should have married anyways. Why would it matter? This is how the Christian culture reasons today. So when someone stands up and says, well, actually, God says this. It's like, oh, you're one of those. And they classify you as some ultra-conservative, Bible-thumper, gay-hater. And all you did was say, well, God says this. I don't care what any man says. All I care about is what God says. And God's truth is uncomfortable. It's not just uncomfortable for the person out there. It's uncomfortable for me. I have to stare straight in the face of God's truth every morning when I wake up. And guess who it convicts? Not that person. Me. It deals with me. I'm just as big of a problem in this as anyone else. God's saying, quit yourself like a man, Eric. What's wrong with you? No, I just don't know if I want to say anything about that, though. <laughs> it starts with me, not just with everyone else. This is a truth for Eric, and Eric has to be pierced by the word of God, too. Everything in Eric that must be dealt with and removed out of the way is dealt with by the word of God. I squirm just like any of us, but God is right, and every one of us is wrong. So this guy has added, he, he wrote a song and it has cursing in it, which might, I know sounds totally trivial. It's like, oh, who cares? It's a song about homosexuality. And it's a song that Relevant Magazine promotes as a wonderful song. Okay, it's a song that promotes it, that defends it and says, it's not your business, Christians, to look into the lives, the intimate lives of your leaders and to accuse them of you know, all this horrible stuff when you are eating shellfish and when you're eating, wearing clothes mixed with five different fabrics, you hypocrite. I know some of you are going, what? <laughs> the point is, the argument is so off-center from Christianity. It's throwing up a smoke screen and getting everyone stirred up and saying there are kids dying in Africa. There are 27 million slaves, there's orphans all over the world, and you're concerned about the sexual condition of someone down the street? Wake up! Deal with the issues that God's heart is on. He's concerned about the kids. Well, guess what? Do you think we're going to argue that? He is concerned about the kids, but he's interested in changing the messengers so that when they go to those kids, they bring life. They don't just bring clothing and food, they bring life. And the only way to bring life is to get death out of us. We're interested in setting people free so that they actually share their eternal existence with life. Jesus, joy, peace, triumph. It's the gospel. It's not just so that we can limp through life as absolute messes, go to hell in the end, and somehow have clothed the kid in the meantime. This isn't about clothing. This isn't about feeding. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is the only thing that can transform a human. It is the power of God into salvation. Therefore, we should be unashamed of it. So these leaders in our midst, now I, I very purposely didn't name names. You could figure it out if you needed to, but I don't want it to be about them. What I'm saying is this is on our watch, and I have seen the erosion right before my very eyes in this generation. I have seen it in the past five years go off a cliff. In fact, in the past year and a half, 
I would say there has been an absolute diminishment of morality in the Christian culture. In the last year and a half, there are books that are coming out that are literally perfectly suited for the way we are wired in our generation. And when we read them, they just make sense to us. And what it does is it removes any type of standard. It's just like, shed it off. Get rid of it. Because God just wants us to love. He just wants us, he just wants us to sort of just commune with each other and hug each other and just, just pat each other on the back and say, you know, it's all right. We don't need to live by all this old thinking, all this conservative junk. And meanwhile, we're dying. What they're rejecting, they should reject. Religion. Religion kills. And so the, we have an entire emergent movement that is shedding off this religion, this dead, dry legalism. And they say, we don't want that. The problem is, what they're turning to isn't truth either. What they're missing is the cross. What they're missing is Jesus Christ risen. What they're missing is the impartation of a holy God into a stable known as humanity and transforming it into his image, changing it, removing every weight that besets, setting it free so that it can live. Oh, that's life. And that is the message that is being lost in this battle. Because some people are entrenched in fighting for just rules and regulations of Christianity. I don't want to fight for that. And some people are interested in just shedding all those off and removing it completely. It's either law or licentiousness. What about Jesus? What about the cross? What about the life imparted? It's the historic gospel of Jesus that is in the ascendant. That's the center of the battle, and it's on your watch. My question today, tonight, is if it's your watch, quit yourself like a man. Rise up and be bold, be brave. And first of all, quit yourself like a man for your own mind and for your own heart. This isn't just about these singers out there. It's about you. Because you are either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And to be part of the solution, you must have Jesus Christ. You must have Jesus Christ invade your existence. You must have Jesus Christ overtake you. You must have Jesus Christ in all his fullness, all his life, and all his power. That's the way that you become part of the solution, not part of the problem. The hunted seed. The wicked Athalia. Sort of an interesting one. Aren't you guys fascinated? Of course, those of you that peaked already were on to me on this one. But that was one. See, on the PowerPoint, I was going to like click it, and then it was going to be like, and you're like, huh, what? Instead, some of you are way too confident right now because you've been peeking at the notes. The hunted seed. Okay, now, back in Genesis, we have the fall of man. Man rebels against God, believes the lie of the enemy over God's command. And as a result, we have sin. God promises a Messiah. It's the seed of the woman. And this seed is going to crush the head of the enemy. And so what we see is the enemy throughout all of Hebrew history attempting to destroy the seed. It's a good strategy because this seed, we, you know, if you follow the seed, he's always after it. Okay, That's a whole teaching in and of itself. But then we get to David, and what we see is God promised David that it will be his lineage that will always reign eternally. So Satan now knows it's not just any Jew. It's that line. It's the line of Judah. And he must snuff out the Davidic line. Because if he can snuff out the Davidic line, he's won. Of course, you know that God would just bring him back dead. You know, God is way too smart for this guy. But still, Satan tries, okay? So what we see is, I'm, I'm just going to go into the time of Athalia. By the way, Athalia was a woman. And do you know that she was queen over Israel? No king, she ruled, preeminent over Israel. Isn't that fascinating? You don't think about that. You know, if there was a woman king, because she wasn't a king, I guess queen. Guess what? She's the granddaughter of Jezebel. <laughs> I cannot think of any person in the Bible that disturbs me more than maybe Jezebel. I mean, she gets under my skin. The funny thing about this, we talk about sticking the manly stuff back in Christianity, quit yourself like a man. There was never a better time for it than when a queen took over Israel. It's like, hey, Israel, quit yourself like a man. Okay, so I'm going to have a little brief history here. Jehoram, king of Judah, so okay, this is a descendant of David, Jehoram, began this destruction by killing all his brothers. He wanted to remove all competition for the throne. So now there's only one left, Jehoram, okay, because he killed off all his brothers. 
the Arabians came and destroyed all of Jehoram's sons, save the youngest, Azariah. Now there's only one left again. But it was because the Arabians came in and destroyed them all. Now there's only Azariah left. Then Athaliah killed all the Azariah's sons after his death. So Azariah dies, and she kills all his sons. Yeah. Wait, what, what, what's this? So she thought. See that? I put it in parentheses, and then after that, so she thought. You thought that the seed was done. You thought it was dead and buried. Oh, no. God's in control. I love this. This is the story of history. You want to know how close this came? Three generations hanging by a thread. And, and Athaliah rises up, destroys Azariah's sons after he dies. And she literally claims control of Israel. She thought they were all gone. So now let's read the story, okay? Now this is a little longer of a scripture than I typically read. But it's very enjoyable. I actually looked through it about 10 times to see what I could chop out so I could keep it uh, tight. Uh, you'll notice that I only have like one set of dot, dot, dots in there. And that was like one line, which was only a genealogy line. Because <clears throat> it's that good. It's a good story. And when Athalia, the mother of Azahiah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehoshaphat, who's a woman, took Joash, the son of Azahiah, and stole him from among the king's sons, which were slain, and they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber of Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her in the house of the Lord six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains in the guard. Now, Jehoiada, Athaliah is a boo. Okay, whenever you hear her name, you just should boo, because she is... You know, in Scottish Chiefs, Lady Mar, Athalia. Uh, we're talking the same substance here, okay? It's bad stuff. Jehoiada is like William Wallace, okay? So when you hear Jehoiada, it's like, yeah! Okay? So, uh, Athalia. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. This is one of those great scenes. Reminds me of the Scarlet Pimpernel. But you have this little boy that is being hid in the house of God. And Jehoiada, or I'm sorry, Jehoiada risks everything by bringing in all the soldiers, the captain of the guard, and everyone who should be loyal to Athalia. She must have been really bad. But this guy was so determined that we have to return Israel to its rightful king. We must return Israel to its roots, to its base, to the word of God. That is actually his entire motivation. He's living in a time which for many of us is what we feel today. It's like, we need to get back. What's happened to us? We're falling apart at the seams. There's a Jehoiada who quit himself like a man stuck his neck out and said, brought all the captain of the guard in. And, I mean, can you imagine what a risk it would be? Here's the king's son. He had to trust these guys. On an oath, he made them swear because they were about to see something. And what they were about to see was so sacred and so important. The king lives. Isn't that a great movie scene? The king lives. And all the guys are like, he's alive. <laughs> this is a good story. Oh, where am I? Okay, he made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, saying, This is the thing that you shall do. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. And a third part shall be at the gate of Sir, and a third part at the gate behind the guard. So, listen to this line. I emboldened it for you just so you wouldn't miss it. So shall you keep the watch of the house that it be not broken down. Why would they care about the house of the Lord? Because the king is in residence there. This is where the king lives. And so you protect the house. Why? Because it's the palace of the king. Why do you deal with the individual Christian life? Because it's the dwelling place of the king. This is no small thing in Israel. The king lives, but the king is being hunted in our generation. And our, our enemy is out to squash all remnants of that truth in this generation, which means in you. And he will, by hook or by crook, try and get it out of you. Try and dilute you. Try and get it so that that king is exposed and removed. 
So you shall keep the watch of the house that it be not broken down. And two parts of you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord about the king. And you shall compass the king round about. This is such a great picture of Christianity. You shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And he that cometh within the ranges. Oh, there's my title right there. And he that cometh within the ranges, let him be slain. And be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all that, the, that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And to the captains over hundreds did the priests give King David spears and shields. Okay, this is actually one of my favorite lines right there. Remember how I said the growl of David? The weaponry of David? We look back at David and this guy killed lions, bears, giants. Oh, more than that. Tens of thousands. When you tried to rush on David, you died. Nothing could stand against David as a warrior. Nothing. All his mighty men took on his strength. How would you like it? Wouldn't it be one of the greatest things to be handed a spear from David? Are you serious? I get, to, I get to use this? That's Christianity. Literally. The weaponry of Jesus Christ is handed to us. We are given all we need to compass the king and to fight. Everything. We are given the armory of heaven. It just sounds more cool to get David's armory. But I tell you what, Jesus' armory is more impressive. I guarantee you that if David saw the battles that we get to fight today, he would salivate and say, if only I could live in that age. And we live in it, and we don't appreciate it. It's like living at the base of the Rockies and not looking at them. Never appreciating the fact of where we live. We do it all the time. We live at the base of the most majestic king. And everything is available for us, and we don't even take advantage of it. He gave them King David's spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guards stood, every man with his weapons in his hands, round about the king, from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple, along by the altar in the temple. And he brought forth the king's son. What a moment. This is a really funny uh, thing that they did. He put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments, and they made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, God, save the king. I like that scene. And when Athaliah heard the noise of the guards, so it must have been fairly loud, when Athaliah, oh, Athaliah, <laughs> heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar, as was the manor, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes. Oh, yeah, boo. And rent her clothes and cried, treason, treason. But Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the host, and said unto them, have her forth without the ranges. Bring her outside the ranges. And him that followeth her kill with the sword. For the priest had said, let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. And they laid hands on her, and she went by the way by which the horses came into the king's house, and there she was slain. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, between the king also and the people. They were Athaliah's people, and Jehoiada made a covenant that they would no longer be Athaliah's people, but the Lord's people. This is our day and age, even if you don't feel it, I was speaking at a little group of uh, some Bible study with a whole bunch of young guys in high school the other day. And the guy said, I, I just don't see any battle. I'm sitting in my class, you know, at ma in math class. It doesn't really feel like a battle. It is a battle. You may not see the battle, but it is more intense than anything you've ever seen in any movie. We are in the midst of hostile territory. And the truth of Jesus Christ is under attack. And the number one strategy of the enemy is to dull you to the battle. To unplug you. To dim your sights. To confuse your mind. To remove you from the truth. I mean, classic Christianity always says study your Bible. So we have a whole generation that was told to study their Bible but never knew how to. They just look at their Bible. They flop it open. They're like, you know, this book is sort of dry and dusty. It really doesn't have much to say to me. We have no idea how to handle the word of God anymore. It's strategy of the enemy. If he can get us away from truth, then he baits us out there away from the shepherd. And guess what? That's where the wild beasts are. And they eat us wandering sheep for dinner. And that's what the enemy has been able to 
make happen in our generation. You may not feel the intensity of it like I do, and you might think I'm way out of line. It's like he is just exaggerating everything. I am so deeply burdened by this. And I lay awake at night, and I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? And then I read scriptures like 1 Corinthians where Paul says, quit yourself like a man. Right when I'm ready to say, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't make such a big deal about this. No one else is. Maybe I shouldn't bark about this. Quit yourself like a man. What's the word again? And, and trezomai. Could you imagine God wakes me up in the middle of the night? Trezomai. <laughs> Within the ranges of the holy king. There was a range. There was a range of the holy temple. And these guards within that range were to watch. Anything within that range that they were entrusted, they were divided into thirds. Anything within their range, they were responsible for. You're not responsible for someone else's range, but you are responsible for your range. So the key question is, what is your range? David was anointed king, but he was only entrusted the sheep at that time. So that was his range. He was responsible for those sheep, and when one was taken, he says, not on my watch. No way. This is my range. You have something that's within your range, and you might feel young. You know, you're not old. You're not in an influential position, but you still have a range. This is the temple of God, and there's a range. Your thought life is part of that range. Your soul, the truth that you adhere to, your belief, your faith, your prayer life, your study of truth, these are things within your range that the enemy is constantly trying to go after and he's trying to diminish. And you say, not on my watch. I know what I'm here for. I must be sober. I must be watchful. I must be clear-minded for this battle. I must be sharp because there is an enemy and he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. You become strong and God entrusts you with a greater range. In governmental terms, it's called jurisdiction. It's a governing authority. It's like a fenced-in area. It's like, this is where I rule. You have a mini dom dominion, a domain. This is, this is something you're in charge of. It's a government. You are literally, God has entrusted you and said, okay, I give you all my strength and all my authority, but you have to watch. I'm sticking you in a watchtower, Eric. You watch over your soul. You maintain it. I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you the strength to stay awake. I'll give you everything you need for life and godliness, but you must watch and remain sober. Not just not drinking, but sharp of mind. Sharp of mind, without a blur. Don't enter into anything that will begin to blur your mind and distract you from Jesus Christ. This is a battle. You stay alert. So within the ranges of the Holy King, the inward man, this is where we all start. And we must become excellent here. The marriage and family. This is like a sheep pen. I am entrusted with a wife and I have children. And without any argument, hopefully from all of you, you would agree that is within my range. And I'm responsible for that. If something came into my family and hurt it, would I blame you? Well, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? How could I blame you? You'd be like, that isn't in my range. That is your range, Eric. In other words, it's obvious that as a man, I'm responsible for something. Well, as an individual, you're responsible for something. It doesn't change. What you're responsible for is your own soul, and it's like a little child. You must defend it, your innocence, your purity. These are things that you fight for. The church. If something is happening in my church, you know that it is within my range and I am responsible before God for it? If I turn a blind eye and I say, you know what, I just don't have time for this. That's the reason you don't really want to be a leader in Christianity. Because you're responsible before God for a lot. And if you cause little ones to trip, guess what? You have a higher level of accountability. Who would ever want that? It's like, let's just have a little range here. God, I don't really want my range to expand. But as God matures you, you know what? You ask for it to expand. You really do. You want God to press forward because you want to be useful to him. You want to bear fruit for him. You want, you want to please him. You want to be a messenger of his, of his, of his goodness and his grace of what he's, 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 expended, he's extended to you. You want it to be known. So here you are praying the most ridiculous prayers. God, expand my range. Why am I praying this? That's what I remember uh, praying for uh, Dubber Doo you know, and our third child. And I remember thinking, okay, now, every, anytime you get a newborn, you're awake. You know, we were going to adopt him. And you, you're awake for, you know, what, six months straight? Why would anyone ask for this? God, I have no idea why I'm asking for this, but I really 
desire that little boy to be strong and to be made mighty through your kingdom. And I would love, it would be the greatest privilege to be his father. I'm praying a crazy prayer. That's what happens to you as a Christian. You pray crazy things. You go after a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. You go after 300 and then 800 Philistines with nothing but your bare hands. You go after giants with only a sling. You do stupid things because it's within your range. And when it's within your range, I, I, here's Ben and I, he's, he's walking along within his range. Hey, there's a hole in the ground, a little pit, and there's a lion in it. Hmm. It's a snowy day. It's within his range, though, so he hops down in it. And, of course, destroys the lion in the process. When it's within your range, you are responsible, even if it seems unwise and completely ridiculous, you are responsible for jumping into that pit on a snowy day and wrangling with a lion. Your God will be with you. As I always, uh, the question I asked Hudson once, I said, who are you responsible for protecting? If the big meanie comes to the door and mommy and daddy are gone. I want to come in and hurt someone. Who are you responsible for protecting? Is Harper, Debra uh, Do, and Abby. Well, that's right. Why? Because I'm the big brother. That's right. And when you stand up to fight the big meanie, who fights for you? Jesus. That's right. Simple truth that even a child can understand. When you stand up to fight for that which was within your range, God fights for you. That's what it means to be within your range. The shepherdless flock of strays in need of rescue. It's not just my, not just my soul, not just my children, my marriage. It's not just this church. But there are those within my range that God is going to introduce me to that are lost. They're not in my church. They're not in my family. I should just walk away. Why, why, why does that matter? I'm not going to you know, bother with that. I have plenty on my plate. But strays, strays that are vulnerable to the wolves. And God is introducing them to me saying, you see that stray, Eric? They don't have any protection right now. They have no shepherd. I want you to stand up for them. There are going to be people within your range that you don't even know. And you might meet them tonight and they have no relationship to you. They're just passing through your life, but God says, there they are. Why do you share the gospel with someone? Because they're within your range and you have the hope that they need. You have the gem that can transform their life. You have the only thing on earth and in heaven that they can be saved with. And they're within your range. And you love Jesus. And as a result, he has burdened you with his heart and for some reason you love them. It's inexplicable why you love them so much. You just met them, and you love them. That's how Christianity works. All that is pure-hearted, all that is righteous, all that is truth. It's within your range. You may not be at a place right now where you can stand up against the Christian publishing industry. You may not be in a position right now to stand up and deal with what's happening in the Christian music industry. You may not be in a place right now to deal with all the pulpits that are sold over to devilish notions in this nation, in this world, and do something about it. But you are within the range of other things that maybe on a smaller level you are responsible for. And you must steward your range because all you may have is a little flock of sheep around you. But don't negate it. Don't look down on small beginnings. Because it's out of small beginnings that God raises up mighty men and women. He's saying, I've trusted you with little. Prove it. Prove that you'll be faithful here and I will give you more. And I will expand your range. God is needing shepherds. He is needing men and women who care deeply about what is entrusted to them. You know that a good shepherd actually loved his sheep? Loved them. Cared so deeply for them that a good shepherd would lay down his life for a sheep. Seems sort of ridiculous, doesn't it? It's like the life of the shepherd is a lot more valuable than the life of the sheep. But a good shepherd cared so deeply for his sheep. David's name actually meant beloved. His sheep loved him. There was a mutual relationship between them. They, those sheep knew that that shepherd would lay down their life for them. And so they trusted that shepherd. They loved that shepherd so deeply. Do you know that you have a God who not just died for you, already laid down his life for you, but he will ever live to make intercession for you which means to stand before you and to protect you. He ever lives to do it. And that he has the name Beloved. He is your David. 
You should be moved out of love for him and out of love for all that he cares about because he says, see that sheep? I laid down my life for that sheep. Eric, will you lay down your life for that sheep? Well, I don't know that sheep. I know that sheep. How God mixes love with the fight of the cross. The actual standing up and quitting yourself like a man and then loving like a savior. How does all that work? That's Christianity. And it seems like there's a tension in that, that if we're going to stand up and fight for truth, that we have to clobber people. But we don't. We love people, but we fight for truth and righteousness and justice. We fight and never marginalize the love that moves us. Where are the watchers? I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. If you are a watcher, then you cannot keep silent. You must speak. Why? Because if you don't speak, they won't know that an enemy is coming. And you could say, well, they don't want to hear. It doesn't matter. You know what he told Ezekiel? You're responsible to speak, even though I'm foretelling you ahead of time that they won't listen to you. And if you don't speak, their blood will be on your hands. I should have included that scripture, but I was trying to be nice to you. I still included it anyways. Uh, As I live, saith the Lord, surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Dear God, may we not be shepherds that are only concerned about our own needs, and we're feeding ourselves when there are dying sheep around us. Christianity is watchful. It is outward. It is knowing that Jesus will feed us and we will have everything we need so that we can be one who feeds the flock, not ourselves. We must turn outward. There is a battle and you're in the middle of it. By the way, I love the fact that we're in the middle of a battle. I love the fact that I'm in this generation. When I said that David would salivate to live in this age, it's because he was a man who loved a good battle for truth. He loved the battle for glory. You must love this battle, but not the crushing of skulls, the fighting for glory, to see Jesus receive his due, because there are souls that are lost, and this fight will gain them for him. Is not the lamb that was slain worthy to receive the reward of his suffering? And we say yes. And we fight that he would receive the reward of his suffering. That's what moves us. It's not to see people hurt. It's to see people helped. God has given you a sword. Never use that sword to hurt or to harm. You use that sword to protect and to fight for truth. You have strength at your disposal. Use it the right way. And may this generation of Christians no longer just be known for what we hate for who we love. That must happen in this generation. And I want it to happen so deeply within this generation that even those that want to still call us just gay haters, that they would be forced to know that they are lying within, that they have seen something different in us, that they are moved by that difference. And even though they still reject it, they have to acknowledge within their inner man that there is something different about us that they can't touch without Jesus Christ. That must happen. This is our watch, and we must rise up in our watch and quit ourselves like.